Welcome to episode 90 of the Sports Corner Podcast. My name is Nick, joined as always by my good friend Steven, and tonight we inch closer to the college football season kickoff, and we do that by breaking down the Big 12 Conference. We're going to talk about what they did last year and what we expect them to do this year, all of that and more on tonight's episode. Steven, how's it going? It's going, man. We are so close to the start of this football season. It's, uh, it's right around the corner. Fantasy drafts are happening. Uh, NFL preseason games are going on. It's just it's a fun time. It is a good time for sure. And I have to say I'm excited about tonight's episode because not only with each passing week are we drawing closer to the college football season kicking off, but we are getting to talk about conferences now that you and I both have invested interest in. It's more than just breaking it down for our wonderful audience. It's about... Uh, actually talking about some conferences and some teams that we like. Before we do that, though, I need to mention a couple of housekeeping issues. And here they are. If you're listening, you have the chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card. All you have to do is rate this podcast five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, such as Google Play, Stitcher, or my favorite, Spotify. After you rate us five stars, just take a quick quick screenshot and either tweet, email, or message that to us on our Discord server, and you will be entered to win. If for some reason you've reviewed us in the past, go back, take that screenshot, and just send it to us. If you're going to email it to us, we are at sports, or I'm sorry, our email address is sportscornernox at gmail.com. If you want to send it to us via Twitter, you can do that either at our personal account, which are PastorNick86 or at McCoy 23 or of course, probably the best place as on our actual Sports Corner Twitter page, which is at Sports Corner 865. All of that information is in the show notes. So if you're listening and you think, Nick, I can't keep up with that, just click the show notes and that will show up for you. Um, and again, if you want to have a great chance to win a uh, $25 Amazon gift card, you can do it. Two more weeks until we make that drawing. We've only had a handful enter, so your chance to win is pretty stinking good. All right. Love it. Love it. Um, all right. Steven, that is the pre show notes. This is episode 90. That's an exciting thing. And tonight we get to talk about the Big 12 Conference. Before we do that, though, yeah. the AP Top 25 poll was uh-huh. released, I think, actually last night, but it's been released since we've talked last. And there are a couple of things worth noting. Why don't you tell us who made the top 10? Yeah, I'll fly through that real quick. Number one, Alabama. No real shock there. Number mm-hmm. two, Ohio State. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Clemson. Number five, Notre Dame. Who would have thought Notre Dame Yeah, that's so great? shocking. Uh, number six, Texas A&M. Back-to-back massively overrated teams coming into the season. Um, shocker there. Number seven, Utah. A little bit surprising. Number eight, Michigan. Number nine, Oklahoma. And Baylor rounds out the top ten there. All right, so it's two Big 12 teams that round up the top 10. We're talking about um, Big 12 teams. That's who we're talking about tonight. Uh, also note, three teams that will be entering the Big 12 soon yeah. round out not only the top 10, but the top 25 with Cincinnati, right. Houston, and BYU in 23 through 25, respectively. Stephen, we talked about briefly there that I think both of us would agree that Notre Dame is a little um, maybe uh, higher than we think they should be, given the fact that they've yeah. got a new coach. Didn't really end the season in a way that I think they lost to a Big 12 team uh, in a bowl game, right? They lost to, was it Oklahoma State in a bowl game? That, Baylor? Sounds, that sounds good. Let's yeah. go with that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, you mentioned that, and then you know you mentioned A and M. Uh, always overrated, right? For whatever reason. Um, but hey, uh, some other interesting notes. Miami comes in at sixteen in Mario yeah. Cristobal's first season. So either they are high on what Manny Diaz left, and he probably shouldn't have been fired, or they're giving Cristobal a whole lot of confidence that he's going to get this tide turned. Um, either way, they're sixteen, and at number twenty, Kentucky comes in. Uh, their first preseason ranking since 1978. So impressive. Um, Kentucky is a football school now. Hey, um, if you don't get that reference. Um, you should be on Twitter more. Check out the Twitter. I'm I'm, I'm all for that Twitter beef. So, uh, and then one final note before we move into the Big 12. Alabama comes in at number one. You mentioned we mentioned it's not surprising. However, Nick Saban takes over the Alabama uh, program in 2007. Goes seven and six in his first season. Since then. He has had the Crimson Tide ranked number one at some point in every single season. So that's 2008 through 2022. Um, they have been ranked number one at some point every season, including this is now the seventh time they've been ranked number one heading into the season. Impressive. A stat that I would not mind my Oklahoma Sooners you know, having as well. Yeah. Uh, first AP poll without Texas in the preseason in 16 years, I believe. That's all. Um, Which is... Kind of, you know, impressive yeah, about it, right? Like every yeah. year, like we talk, or, like the media talks themselves into putting Texas in the top twenty-five, and then you know they do stupid stuff. So maybe, um, maybe the reverse jinx is on. Maybe so. I know number twenty-six is not a thing. However, if you look at the others receiving votes and the school that was close there, um, uh, yep. Tennessee was the twenty-six team. Yes. you know, would have been would have been twenty-six. Uh, in the have- coaches poll, didn't one some one person put? Give Texas a number one vote. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Also, uh, I believe Nebraska got a uh, a vote today. Seems reasonable. Um, well, that's enough on the other conferences. We'll do SEC next week. We will. Uh, I think we are planning a full-on Tennessee preview in two weeks. So we are. So next week we will break down the SEC as a whole, and whereas we will give some really surface-level thoughts on Tennessee as how they fit into the conference as a whole. Yeah. Uh, in two weeks from tonight, we will really spend time breaking down um, UT specifically. So mm-hmm. for our listeners outside of Tennessee, that might be uh, maybe not your favorite episode, but I think you'll gain some insight into uh, into Tennessee, into the SEC, and other things. So looking forward to that episode. So, But tonight. Tonight, we get to talk about the Big 12. And so um, if you're not familiar with how we do our preseason previews to get you ready for the upcoming season, we'd like to take a couple of minutes and talk about how the conference did the previous season. Um, did they have a title contender? Did they have a Heisman contender? Who won the conference? Et cetera, et cetera. However, before we jump into that tonight, I think we got to talk about the fact that the Big 12 was the conference that really started the shakeup that we're still feeling as far as conference realignment goes. Because on July 26, 2021, both Texas and OU officially announced that they would be stepping away from the Big 12 and moving to the SEC. Um, however, due to the media rights and the media contracts and fun stuff like that, this place could... Uh, this. A transition could not take place until the 2025 season unless the teams paid a combined $150 million buyout. And I mean, Stephen, we are, you're a diehard Longhorn fan. You're wearing yeah. your Longhorn 
pullover hood. Oh, I can't. What is that? Just a polo? Polo? Um, You're wearing a pullover tonight. Uh, I'm a diehard Sooner fan. I kept it a little more, you know, neutral by not wearing an OU shirt tonight, but that's okay. Um, This is a podcast. This is a podcast. (laughs) But here's the thing. I mean, as diehard fans we were, um, we were both, like, absolutely shocked by that announcement. I have no idea how you guys, like, how these schools and nobody let this leak, right? Um, in today's age where everything is is out there for everybody to know immediately, right? And yeah. we don't care if we're right. We just care about getting the story out. And Nothing there was a little out. bit of murmuring from the Houston Chronicle, but like it was so little that no one even took it seriously. No one jumped on it nationally. And I don't even think the teams were officially named. It was just like we're hearing that there could be a shakeup with conference alignment. And I think everyone thought like, oh, we're finally going to get back to 12 teams in the Big 12. Yeah. Um, but what that led to, Stephen, was 46 days of Big 12 coaches, ADs, university presidents and chancellors, and conference-level officials, such as the commissioner himself, whining about disloyalty, backstabbing, and how awful it was for teams to up and abandon their conference. Um, how it was annoying. That? It was so annoying. It, and- was all, it was ridiculously stupid. I mean, we had... We had court cases and all kinds of stuff about it. I mean, there were like state legislators like vowing yeah. to investigate it. And here's why it was so annoying because I said from day one, and, and not that I was some genius in this, it's just logical. Everyone else that wasn't incredibly offended by the move saw it too. And that's that they were only mad because they were in their minds being left behind. How do I know this? Because on day 47, September 10th to be exact, the Big 12, for some reason, decided that they didn't care about uh, teams not being loyal to their conferences because they went and scooped up Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston from their conference, and then BYU, who's an independent as well, to be members of the Big 12 no later than the 2024-2025 season. Now, since that time, we've learned that Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF have all reached a deal with the American Athletic Conference to pay an undisclosed buyout that will allow them to join the Big 12 in 2023. And then, as I mentioned a second ago, BYU um, is an independent school, and so they don't have a you know contract to get out of. And so they're going to join that same year. So next year, 2023, four new teams are coming to the Big 12. A solid chance that OU and Texas still there for that as well. They're also actively recruiting uh, what's left of the Pac-12 after the announcement of the two teams, um, you know, USC and UCLA, trying to join the Big Ten. So sure, um, yeah. So yeah. just um, just absolutely crazy how much the conference changed um, before the season even began to create such a shakeup. And what it did is something that we predicted, and that was create a us against them mentality. And we said that anytime a OU or Texas traveled somewhere, it was going to be a hostile environment um, because we didn't know how many more times these teams would compete. Would Texas and OU just pony up and pay the buyout and be done after the season and whatnot. So it made for a fun year, uh, but let's jump into who won the conference. How did this conference end? Well, it ended with number nine Baylor was who is 10 and two going into the game beating number five Oklahoma State, who was 11-1 going into the game, by a score of 21-16. to The game is especially remembered because Baylor made a very impressive goal line stand to end the game. 
OSU, as you might recall, Stephen, had the ball first and goal at the one-yard line, and Baylor just continually stops the Cowboys four straight times, including that final fourth and goal play that ended, I don't know, half an inch from the goal line. I mean, it was insane, Uh, but it was enough. Baylor's victory marked their first Big 12 championship since 2014, their first unshared title since 2013, and their first win in a Big 12 championship game ever. Uh, It was their third, of course, overall championship. Um, And so Baylor ends up 12-2 with a bowl win over Ole Miss uh, and was the best uh, team as far as final standings going uh, in the conference. So an impressive year for the Baylor Bears. Um, After Matt Rule left, everyone thought, okay, are they going to be able to keep this up? And uh, Aranda seems to be keeping you know, the horses on the wagon, so to speak, and had a great season. Uh, with that said, you're a Texas fan. I'm an OU fan. So it's worth mentioning how those teams finished up because we're going to focus on them a little bit heavier in the um, coming segments of the podcast. OU went 11-2 and with losses to Baylor and Oklahoma State, and Texas went 5-7 and um, with six of those losses coming in, row, in a row before ending the season on a two game, I think I wrote one game there, but in my notes, but it was a two game winning streak. Uh, as I recall, it's one game. Is it's it a one, one game? game? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did, no? You had it this too. I was fixing. it. And you fixed it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I thought they won two at the end of there. No, they uh, they stopped. They beat Kansas State to finish the season, but they lost six in a row before that. <clears throat> okay. So that's how kind of our um, our teams finished up the seasons, and so uh, that was just kind of a look at. The football side of things, uh, not a lot to mention in regards to um, Heisman finalists. No one in the Big 12 was invited to be a finalist in New York. Um, There were several names that had buzzes around them during the season, but none were able to really garner any significant attention. Uh, There was one who did finish in the the actual voting that gets released. It was Brees Hall, who was a running back from Iowa State. He finished 10th in the voting. He had a total of... Uh, 12 votes, five second place votes and seven third place votes. So he really had no, uh, no shot, you know, of actually winning it, but he was at least named as someone who had received some votes and for good reason. He had 20 rushing touchdowns, 23 total when you add in his receptions. Uh, and he had just under 1500 rushing yards with 300 receiving yards on top of that and was drafted by the New York jets who traded up to get him as the 36th overall pick, which is uh, fourth pick in the second round. And he was the first running back drafted. Yeah, and that's um, if you haven't paid attention to the draft in recent years, that's a very um, high pick for running backs. Uh, yeah, today's today's age there. So, um, Bruce I've seen player. some people. I've seen some people compare him to kind of a Alvin Kamara. Um, yeah, really good out of the backfield, so, catching the ball and stuff like that. So, yeah. So uh, you know, Spencer Rattler came into the season as a Heisman favorite. Oh, is, um, uh, yeah. I mean. Fell apart, just utterly fell apart. And then uh, Caleb Williams had some growing pains, but um, ultimately didn't do quite enough to earn a uh, an invite there. So yeah. Uh, as far as playoff contenders go, um, going throughout the season and really even up until the um, you know last couple of weeks of the season, Oklahoma was still strangely enough kind of the team that everyone talked about if they can. You know, finish out the season strong, they'll probably make it. Uh, of course, that didn't happen. They lost to Oklahoma State in the final game of the regular season. Uh, and then, of course, all eyes were on Oklahoma State. 
Um, they went into the conference championship game 11 and one, but here's the crazy thing, Steven, if mm-hmm. you listen to the analyst who yeah. were speaking after the votings were, you know, done, several of them said, including Kirk Herbstreet said, Kirk Herbstreet um, said that even if OSU had beaten Baylor, he probably would not have had them in the top four, which was just ludicrous, right? Like I, Oklahoma I, State I, would have I, had to have been there. Yeah, it's asinine, but. I think they were just trying to give a defense for having a power five, I mean, a group to, of five school in there. They wanted to prove that it wasn't just a fluke that yeah. Cincinnati got in, and it was. I mean, it was. It, it was because was Oklahoma sport. State, if they had finished the game a season there 12 and 1, and I believe that one loss was to Baylor, so it would have been like a. Yeah, uh, maybe. Been, was it the other way around? No, I think it was. I think their loss was to Baylor. So they would have been avenging that Baylor loss. Um, Which is what you normally want to see. Of course. How. So, uh, but anyway, so Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were the two best teams because even had Baylor won, well, obviously Baylor did win, uh, and yeah. it wasn't enough to get them there, and everyone was saying that going in, especially with how the playoffs were falling, with people wanting to get this uh, group of five team in. Um, so... Oklahoma State's loss was to Iowa State. To Iowa State, you're right. Yeah. Um, so even even still, though, that Iowa State team, not a bad not, loss. Not yeah, yeah. They're not what everyone thought they were going to be going into the season, but they were still um, a good team. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, let's look at a couple of new coaches in the conference. Uh, we did have three new coaches. Uh, the first new coach comes from Texas Tech. His name is yeah. Joey McGuire. Everyone knows Joey McGuire, right, Stephen? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, not that Joey McGuire, though. No. So McGuire took over for Matt Wells, who was in year three of a six-year contract. Wells finished 13-17 and 17 with a 7-16 and 16 conference record at Tech before being fired on October 25th after losing to Kansas State. And I'm um, sure he will now go on to uh, be an NFL coach or something ridiculous because that's what everybody that gets fired from Texas Tech does. Um, actually, he is on Oklahoma staff. Well, well, never mind. Poor guy. Yep. Poor guy. Um, so, McGuire, this new coach at Texas Tech, he is a well-known and respected coach in Texas high school football. Yes. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because there's a lot of talent in Texas high school This is what football. a team like Tech should do, right? Is it, like- though? I think so. I don't know. This is like a move that SMU should do. Well, is SMU really worse than Texas Tech? No, but they're not in a Power 5 conference. Well, it's because they refuse to invite them to the Big 12. Well, that's fair. <laughs> um, so he spent the last five years, and this is where I think his credibility, credibility comes from. He has spent the last five years an assistant coach at Baylor, both under Rule and Oranda. So that is a good thing for him. But this is his first ever stint as a head coach. And, I mean, I know Tech is not an elite school, but it seems like a pretty big stage for your first head coaching job when you've never even been a full-on, like, OC before. Yeah. Um, so, so, so UT San Antonio did this. They hired Jeff Trailer, who was a longtime high school coaching legend, kind of. You know, he has all the ties to the high school staffs um and he put together a very nice season for uh ut san antonio last year so i'm guessing they're kind of banking on this mcguire is kind of cut from the mac brown cloth he's a very you know 
kiss baby, shake hand kind right. of person. Um, you know, you're tech, right? Like, what's it? If it doesn't work, you fire him after two years. I mean, it is what it is, right? It I mean, is. I mean, tech is definitely tried, banking on his. You've ability. tried everything else. You've tried yeah. the. You know, you've tried the whole bring back another Mike Leach thing and Cliff Kingsbury, and that didn't work. You tried the hire somebody that has no real ties, but is an up and coming coach in Matt Wells. That doesn't really work. So now you're just going to try to get the guy that knows all the high school coaches. Maybe he can get some talent that is overlooked um, and, and build up a program. So I, I don't know. It Obviously, you know, it doesn't excite me. Yeah, it shouldn't. They're banking on his ability to recruit from within the state of Texas, and maybe that works out well enough for them to do better than they have been doing. Either way, yeah. it's probably the weakest hire. Um, Easily. it's but, the Yeah, it's the most ho-hum hire. But, yeah. I mean, recruiting the state of Texas, that's not like recruiting the state of Iowa. I mean, right. if he's able to recruit the state of Texas well, he will do well at Tech. Right. Oh, yeah, 100%. All right, the other, or one of the others, sorry, there's two more, um, changes was... At TCU, so Gary Patterson, for the first time in 20 years, will not be on the TCU sideline. He's replaced by Sonny Dykes. Dykes coached at Cal for four years from 2013 to 2016 and ended with a lackluster 19-30 and record, only landing 10 conference wins during that time. Uh, more recently, though, he has been the head coach for a team we've talked about a few times here, SMU, the Mustangs, where he had a more impressive record. He was 30-18 and 18 over that stint. Um, so it looked like both Tech and TCU were battling for coaches who know how to play and recruit in the state of Texas. It's just, in my opinion, um, TCU, you know, wins out of those two schools. But even that, I'm not too impressed by the Sonny Dykes hire. He's an offensive guy. Patterson's a defensive guy. They're trying to flip the script. Yeah. Um, guy with extensive ties to the, um... Uh, Dallas Fort Worth area, I'm sitting sure. at SMU, yeah. so it makes sense. Um, move him to the bigger school in the DFW area, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not not a super exciting hire. Gary Patterson traded in his purple for uh, a Dwight Schrute role with uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, He's interesting that Tex, head coach. Tex fired coach goes to OU and TCU's retired, we'll say, wink, wink, coach goes to Texas. So both you guys can't stand in the 12. Statue, so. You can't. It's difficult. <laughs> um, anyway, that's, you know, Sonny Dykes, I think, does come in with at least a little bit of a, obviously, a better record. He comes in with head coaching experience, and he has been doing good yeah. things at SMU. So it's just kind of like, what's the outlier? What he did at SMU against inferior opponents or what a he did at Cal? A lot of guys, have to, fail. A lot of guys sure. have to fail before, you know, they, they learn – what not to do, and they, they kind of go down a level, they rebuild, they figure out you know what works, and then they get another chance. So this well, could work out for TCU, but, I mean, on the surface, you're hiring a guy with not a great track record. Yeah, it's and, you know, succeeding as a head coach is difficult. All right, well, let's get to the last one, something we've covered ad nauseum in the past, so we don't have to go into a lot of detail here, but Brent Venables replaces Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Uh, Venables was on staff at OU from 1999 to 2011 in a defensive coordinator role. Uh, that yeah, included a scapegoat. Yes. Well, I mean, the defense eventually, I mean, started its downward spiral. That has been a problem for OU 
for a decade plus now. Um, so yeah, yeah he's probably made a little bit of a scapegoat, but Venables are uh, stoops and they ran off Venables. <laughs> yes. Which I mean, who are you going to run off between those two? It's obviously going to be Venables. Um, so, but his first stint in OU uh, Crimson did include a national championship win uh, from 2012 to 2021. He was on staff at Clemson. He won the Broyles award for best, um, Coordinator one year uh, there, and also was a part of a few more national championship wins and runs. Uh, and so, you know, he has been the target for numerous schools over the years. Um, but the fact is, he has never been a head coach before. And that means there are questions. There are questions about how he will do that, just like any other coordinator to head coach, can't be answered until there's more evidence and there's some film and there's some, you know, wins and losses under the belt. So... By default, I guess he's the best hire, um, you know, the new coaches in the conferences. Um, he was definitely, in my opinion, the best option that OU could have hoped for um, after everything that happened. But it's just, you know, it's too soon to declare this a boom or a bust hire. Yeah, I think this is the best coach that was hired. I don't think it was the best hire made. I think Oklahoma could have done better than Brent Venables. Um so for that, I don't think it was the best hire um, that could have been made. Um, he is the best coach. I will say that, if that makes sense. So like, had had TCU hired Venables, that's the best hire to me. Right. Um, but I think Oklahoma could have done better than Venables. Um, it just it terrifies me to hire a guy with no head coach experience who has been a defense coordinator for so long by choice. I'm not saying he hadn't had a, a chance, you know. So. He's just turned down other offers, but I just it, it scares me to make that hire. Um, I feel like they were rushing to win a press conference and not rush and not taking their time to make a make the best hire. I don't know. I mean, I think that they, I think they did an adequate job of putting feelers out for who was going to take that job and who was going to be the best person to take that job. I think if you're OU and you can land, you know. Um, someone that maybe has some power five experience, you know, but at a lesser school, um, or you take a chance with Venables, I think taking Venables is the correct answer, right? Unless you're going to go land a very prestigious name to follow up Riley, then I think you take someone who is sought after and is going to be a good fit for the school and you know is going to put the will of the school above pretty much anything else. I think that was the right call uh, as far as getting the right person in there. Now, obviously, is he the best Coach that was available? No, but he might have been the best coach that was going to say yes. It's possible. Did you read the article I sent you um, about some of the reasons why Lincoln Riley has uh, supposedly left? You know, here's here's the only thing that I can say about that. I've read some of those articles. Some of them I just roll my eyes at and stop reading because half of them... Here's the thing. If it's not a Lincoln Riley gave the interview himself and it's just like the speculation stuff, it's just not even worth my time reading. But here's the thing. For a guy who didn't even consider taking the job until like, you know, six hours before he took the job, he's got <laughs> a lot of reasons for taking the job. So, you know, take that for what it is. There's something going on there. Um, yeah, I think... You know. uh... Uh, the last one seemed interesting to me, though. The fact that he had apparently asked for things that Oklahoma wasn't willing to give him, and now Oklahoma has open checkbooks for Brent Venables is um, maybe not true, but it is certainly interesting to see. Yeah, I just can't really foresee OU tightening their wallets for someone like Lincoln Riley when, you know, 
he got the keys to the executive washroom and all that fun stuff. So, uh, all right. So that's our new hires. Last thing to kind of look backwards, this also transitioned to help us look forward because we're going to talk about transfers. And that obviously has a direct impact on what's going to be going on in the upcoming season. So um, I'll give you some of my thoughts. You just pipe up and correct me where we need to. Um, You know, I think Texas probably wins the transfer portal for the Big 12 overall. Um, They added um, Isaiah, is it Nayor? Nayor? Nayor from Wyoming. He had a breakout season last year as a wide receiver. Um, However, it looks like he's probably going to miss this season due to an injury Uh, that happened at scrimmage. Is that confirmed? Yeah, I know he was like going for a second ACL today. Okay, I knew he was going to go for a second opinion. I hadn't heard the result of that, but that's what it was looking like. ACL today. Um, So that's unfortunate. Uh, He was uh, just went into just stud mode last year at Wyoming, Wyoming, and had a good year even the year before that at Wyoming. So, um, but they also added uh, Jaleel Jaheel uh, Billingsley, who was a tight end from Alabama. Um, And then they also, of course, added uh, Quinn Ewers, who was uh, like number one, number two rated quarterback, depending on what service you're looking at. Um, And he might be a superstar, but I think the other two have more proven potential Mm -hmm. than he did. So I kind of rated them as a little higher. Um, Probably not over, like there was more hype probably about landing Ewers than any of the other two, but like as far as what you actually expected them to do, um, and all three of those guys were like consensus 90 um, rated players. So the Nayor edition was the biggest edition for this season. Right. The Ewers edition was the biggest for the program. Um, Right. It was um, Sark's first big win. Uh, So Ewers was committed to Texas at one point under Tom Herman. Um, Saw where that train was heading and jumped ship. Went to Ohio State. I think he also went to Ohio State, though. He went to Ohio State because of NIL stuff. Yeah, so he skipped his senior year of high school, went up there and enrolled. So he uh, he was actually supposed to be a freshman coming into this season. So he was originally in this co- this incoming class. Right. Um, he has since had one year of college coaching under a very good program. Uh, very good offensive that, he program, too. Yeah, but with that, he hasn't had any real snaps. So right. you kind of trade. He has not better coaching, better knowledge, less snaps. What? How does that play out? I mean, surely he's going to be your starter this year, though, right? Uh, if I were to handicap it, yes, I would say he is the starter. Um, Sark is still quiet. There was hope he might announce coming out, off of the first scrimmage, um, but there was enough to talk about after the first scrimmage. We can get into that in a minute. Sure. So, um, but yeah, big big win for Sark. Yeah. Um, hopefully, a program changer. In um, Texas did lose fourteen players in the transfer portal. But I think they're probably still coming ahead. Obviously, the biggest loss was QB Casey Thompson, who's in yes. Nebraska now or at Nebraska. Um, but again, the the guys they brought in are just either proven studs or suspe- suspected studs. Yeah. So I think that's a win. Um, Some of those fourteen were placed in the portal. Sure. Oh yeah, and that you know that always Sark happens. was. Sark had a lot of honest conversations coming off of the. I seem to recall year. at some point last year he basically said get on the train or get out. And yeah, what you got to do. You got to clean house a little bit, especially yeah. when a team is underperforming the way that Texas underperformed because, you know, we kind of glossed over it when we just mentioned their record. But the fact is, is Texas had no. Yeah, then that's the same. <laughs> but they had no right to do that poorly last year with the talent on that roster. Right. So you got to say, guys, if you don't want to play here, you're not going to give it a y'all. Go, go play yeah. somewhere else. All right. Big Ten mm-hmm. will take you. The Pac 12 will love to have you. Uh, Kansas State <laughs> grabbed Adrian Martinez, the quarterback from Nebraska, who Casey Thompson 
from Texas will go now take that job at Nebraska. So a little shuffling there. Um, OU lost 12 players but picked up at least 10. Um, The biggest pickup for them was probably UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel, who um, was, again, at UCF. He was at UCF the same time that Jeff Levy was at UCF. So they have some chemistry. Uh, Heupel, too, but but Levy was coordinated for him. So. It was an obvious move once Caleb Williams jumped ship that sure. uh, that you go get him for first stop gap year. Right. Uh, the only other real transfer I have of note: uh, JT Daniels goes to West Virginia to take over that quarterback job. Uh, Daniels is on his third school. Um, he started his career at USC, uh, then transferred to Georgia um, once he suffered that injury and lost the job at USC. Uh, he was off and on starter at Georgia, kind of split snaps with Stetson Bennett for a while. He ultimately got injured. Lost that job um, to Bennett, who then went on to lead the, the Georgia team to a national championship. So yeah, you're um, not getting that job back, buddy. Daniels is out of a job. So, but Neil Brown does also bring in uh, Graham Harrell, who was Daniels' OC at USC. Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, we'll see if that that combo works out well for them or not. No doubt. All right, let's uh, jump into kind of just talking about the teams in the conference. I won't spend a lot of time on these first two, but who are some of the bottom feeders? Yeah. Who are some of our middle uh, of the road teams, title contenders, all that fun stuff? The bottom is Kansas, Texas Tech, TCU. Um, Kansas, until further notice, is there. Um, yeah. Texas Tech, TCU, adding the new coaches always makes it tough. So um, not to say these teams will be here long term, but for a year at least, they stick in the bottom. Uh, middle of the road, I have West Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State. Uh, Iowa State loses a whole lot from last year, um, including quarterback uh, Brock Purdy. You mentioned Brees Hall already. They lose two tight ends, which they love their tight ends. So um, Iowa State, I think, slips back to the middle for um, at least the time being, but I think Todd Campbell is a good enough coach to um, – or Mark Campbell, sorry, is a good enough coach to get them out of there. Um, and then I had Kansas State as my other middle-of-the-road team. Uh, I have three title contenders, really. Uh, I'll talk about the first two, and then I'll turn it over to you. Um, Baylor, so last year's conference champ, does lose a lot this year, including three of their top defenders, uh, safety JT Woods, cornerback Jalen Petrie, and linebacker Terrell Bernard. And then offensively, they lose their top two pass catchers in Taekwon Thornton and R.J. Sneed, as well as they have to replace their starting quarterback, Jerry Bohannon, um, not due to transfer or draft or anything. He just out and out lost the job uh, this spring to Blake Shapen. So we'll be breaking in a new quarterback, albeit one that did take the job from the incumbent. Um, but this ultimately falls back to Dave Aranda and how good of a coach he's, he is and seems to be. Um, he'll have his work cut out, but this is a, a good chance for him to prove his chops. Number two, I have Oklahoma State. So the other um, title cont- or the other title um participant last year so the cowboys do come up did come up just inches short quite literally a year ago in the title game they look they're going to look to use that as fuel to launch another title run this season uh spencer sanders the quarterback there is back for his 12th season it feels like with gundy um hopefully he can put it all together he did throw 12 picks last year um last year the biggest story for the cowboys was the defense so they racked up 19 and a half sacks but they do have to replace their star linebacker, Malcolm Rodriguez, um, who had 131 tackles last year. That's really impressive. Um, and defense coordinator Jim Doles, who bolted for Ohio State. Um, Gundy does bring in former Vandy head coach and um, Auburn sitting defensive coordinator, Derek Mason, to take over that D.C. job to replace Jim Knowles and see if he can sustain what Knowles had rolling there for the Cowboys. Yeah, and then the last one that you mentioned kind of as a – um, 
title contender is, of course, Oklahoma. Surprisingly yeah. enough, when I was reading about it, like most services, right yeah, I was on favorite Oklahoma. That seemed a little it's surprising close. to me. It is. But it seems surprising to me because they are obviously going to be a lot different looking sooner team this year. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you know, there are there are plenty returning players and there are going to be plenty of things that look similar about this OU team, but there's no doubt that there's going to be a different energy, a different vibe, and a different mm-hmm. look to it. Um, Lincoln Riley, whether you love him or hate him, uh, brought a different look to that team uh, and you could tell that the year that he came on as offensive coordinator. And, of course, it stuck around when he was head coach because he was calling all the plays. Um, so things will be different. We'll see what Levy can do as OC. We'll see what Venables and his staff that he's put around that defense is able to do to change things there. Um, but one thing that I think I'm excited to see is hopefully maybe some passion that's kind of been lacking um, the last couple of years under Riley's tenure, which was just more of a, I don't know, lackadaisical approach um felt like uh with that said though you know we'll see we'll see what the new quarterback can do um finding some targets um i think that uh eric gray is poised former tennessee eric gray is poised to have a really really good year um and i think they'll probably lean on him not that gabriel's not a good quarterback i think he is but i just think that they're going to really go into a more physical team a more trenchy team uh, and so, you know, we'll see what happens there, but I'm excited about seeing a new look OU. Yeah, my biggest concern with Oklahoma just comes from, like you said, they want to be a more physical team, which was great when you had Clemson and had built that for years and you had your guys. Um, I'm not saying it won't work at Oklahoma. I just don't think it works this year at Oklahoma. Nothing about the uh, the defense in the last few years has led me to believe that they can all all of a sudden play a very physical brand of football and be successful doing so. I Uh, certainly don't anticipate OU being a title contender this year. That would be uh, a very big surprise to me. But uh, with that said, I think there are enough teams down in the Big 12 that... It's wide open. Yes, for sure. I I have two dark horses. Uh, Number one for me is Kansas State. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Wildcats were quietly much improved in Chris Kleiman's first season in charge, uh, finishing 8-5. and uh, including a 42 to 20 bowl win over LSU. So, no, LSU wasn't very good last year, but anytime you thump LSU, um, especially Kansas State, yeah. uh, that has to give you some momentum. Um, the Wildcats are bringing in much maligned, but uber talented quarterback Adrian Martinez to a backfield that features do it all running back Deuce Vaughn. He had 1,400 rushing yards and 18 touchdowns and 470 receiving yards and four touchdowns last season. Um, at Kansas State, those are really impressive numbers. Yeah, Simon uh, no is also bringing in former star quarterback Colin Klein as a new offensive coordinator in a move uh, that I think will pay huge dividends for Martinez. Um, I think this is an offense that fits Martinez very well, and Colin Klein is kind of a bigger version of Adrian Martinez. And so I think that the two of them could put together a really nice uh, package this year. Uh, if the defense can repeat last year's performance, where they gave up 21 points per game and just 5.4 yards per play, then Kansas State may make a run at the title. Sure. The other dark horse I have, um, okay. which if you look at most betting services, Texas is number two as far as favorite to win the conference. But if you look at most like projected finishes, Texas is at four. So I don't know what to do with that. Um, but that makes me think that the boomer bust is there for Texas. Um, and so I feel like if that's the case, you have to put them as a dark horse, right? I mean, yeah. if you're projecting them to, to either win the conference or finish in the middle, that's kind of the definition. So... 
Um, it all comes down to the defense for Texas. Last year, the offense uh, produced and produced at a historic rate. They were very, very good. Um, even with Casey Thompson and his banged up thumb, uh, I think they will be improved on that. Um, either if it's Hudson Card who has another year in Sark's uh, system, or if they go with Quinn Ewers, who is a very talented, albeit very young, uh, signal caller there. Um, but it's the defense. Uh, they were last year. They had so many big leads late in the fourth quarter. Um, it really handicapped Sark and what he wanted to do. Um, he's a guy that likes to keep his foot on the gas, and he felt like he had to kind of take his foot off the gas at times to protect the defense, and nothing worked. Um, you know, they tried to score every possession. That didn't work. They tried to slow it down. That didn't work. So the defense has to take a step forward if Texas wants to jump to that upper echelon and compete for that Big 12 title. Uh, if they don't, they'll find themselves um, in a better position than last year. They won't be as bad as last year, um, but they absolutely could find themselves in that 8-4, and 7-5 and five kind of range. A lot of injuries for the Longhorns. That's going to set them back a little bit. Yeah, you mentioned, so I'll just go, uh, they they lost four four guys. So they lost, you mentioned Nayor. Um, you mentioned the loss of, um, or you mentioned there's a couple other guys. So uh, starting left guard, uh, also towards ACL yesterday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the number two running back, but kind of the team leader, and Roshan Johnson was lost to an ankle injury. He's out four to six weeks. Um, although I think Sark said today he hopes that he can be back in a couple weeks, so it just kind of depends. And then um, star defensive lineman who is projected to have a big breakout year by a lot of people, um, Alfred Collins, is out four to six weeks with an undisclosed injury. So a lot of injuries uh, hitting the Longhorns early. Um, you like to think that you get those out of the way and you have time to build your depth. But um, for a young team trying to take a step, it's always hard to lose some of your star players like this this early in the year. And then Jay High Hall was suspended Correct. for cutting a parking boot off of his car. I actually don't fault him for that. I've he was many arrested times. for that. Yeah, yes, um, arrested so- for that. Sarkeesian um, actually put out in his um, press conference today, he actually said that that was just a piece of the puzzle, that um, there were some other things that Sark didn't like. This yeah. was kind of the icing on the cake. So he's hoping that this allows him to um, take a step back, understand that this kind of behavior is not okay. Um, and, I mean, obviously it's coach speak, but you know, he said his goal is to make these guys much better people uh, as well as much better players, and that uh, he's hoping that this will be the wake-up call that – Paul needs, and maybe it is. Uh, he's already left Alabama for similar uh, kind of immature issues, as we talked about earlier. So, yeah, I remember last year at Alabama, after one of their games, he like wasn't targeted, and he like tweeted like, "Now nah, I'm done with this crap" or something like that, and quickly deleted the tweet. I'm sure he got a text message from <laughs> one of Saban's, you know, former yeah. rehab coaches that's on the squad, and <laughs> uh, but still, like he was pretty much uh, off the team after that happened, and. Um, you know, you hope, yeah, he, you hope that he matures and he does well with a second he's a, shot. Spot start kids. He's got the talent. He's a big kid, um, yeah. fast. Got all the things you want in an athlete. It was just interesting to me so. that he would, and maybe this is the trend now. I really don't know, but it was interesting to me that it was an indefinite suspension as opposed to just coming out and saying, "Hey, this is going to be a two or a four week." And I don't know if that's let's go indefinite to see how long we can go without him before we need him back, or if it's, uh, "Hey, we're still looking into this and we don't want to put the cart before the horse on handing out a punishment here." But for now, he's given, suspended. Given what he said today, it sounds more like 
it's up to Hall as to how long this is. So um, they've kind of got a plan in place for the benchmarks he needs to hit to get back on the team. And um, if he hits those in the next two weeks, if he hits those in a month, if he hits those in a, in a year, that's how long it's going to take. So, Well, hopefully then some of that maturing has happened or is happening because uh, obviously a kid with that kind of talent, you want to see them on the field making or, an impact and, you know. Or it's just, uh, you know, one more wide receiver injury and he's back. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, too. Oh, now, you know, <laughs> we actually don't care that you stab that guy. Get on here, son. We need you for the Red River rivalry. All right, speaking That's of that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, our next kind of segment here is key matchups. I think you and I will both agree that the keyest of in-conference matchups is none other than the yeah, Red River rivalry, Red River shootout, the OU-Texas handshake game, whatever we're calling it nowadays. These teams go into the to the game with no wins. This is still the premier matchup in this conference. Uh, yeah. Nobody's tuning in to anything else. Um, you know, I put any, t- any of the Big 12 – Kind of powerhouses, you know, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is always fun. Baylor, Oklahoma State rematch. But all the Big 12 teams play each other. So it's always fun uh, because you get all of those games every year. You don't have to, oh, who does does Oklahoma get this year? Right, right. You get them all. So it's always fun. Uh, But the the cream of the crop is the uh, Red River shootout. It will always be the Red River shootout. So. Yep. Uh, Yeah, October 8th for that game. You know it's going to be a 11 a.m. noon kickoff. It's always early. Uh, and so that's going to, you know, that'll be a fun one. It'll be a great one to watch. Uh, Bedlam's always a great one to watch. Um, so those are kind of the big in-conference matchups. Um, out of conference, Stephen, I, I wrote down, ah. there are a lot. I wrote down in what was, in my opinion, the best out-of-conference matchup for each Big 12 team. And then yeah. I want you to, like, rank the top three for me, okay? Okay. So Take here part. we go. West Virginia plays Pitt on September 1st. Okay. West Virginia actually also plays another non-conference game, but I thought Pitt was a little better. Um, Iowa State plays Iowa. It's always a good one. Mm-hmm. Baylor plays BYU, so a battle of a soon-to-be conference rival. Texas Tech plays North Carolina State. Oklahoma State plays Arizona State. TCU's best non-conference matchup, SMU. Thanks, TCU. Fun. Could be fun, but come on. Not making my list, but Kansas State going against a former Big Twelve. Uh, you could maybe say kind of rival versus Missouri. OU versus Nebraska, and then Texas versus Alabama on September tenth. So those are actually some pretty good games. Some of those, those are exciting. Yeah. Some non-conference games. I'm actually excited about those. Several of those. Yeah. So my top three, uh, number three for me would be Oklahoma Nebraska. Um, okay. Last year, I would have this higher because it was the first matchup of them. Sure. Um, we saw it last year. Some things have changed, but not a whole lot's really changed. Um, although, I guess Casey Thompson does get to play Oklahoma again. Who's True. He's got, some, he's got some experience. Um, but uh, So, I have that one at three. Number two, I have West Virginia Pitt, the backyard brawl. Okay. Um, that's just a really fun, old-school Big East matchup. And so, I'm excited to see that kind of um, rekindled here. Um, West Virginia fans have long said that since joining the Big 12, they don't really have a rival. Um, mm. It was their big rival. They get to play them again this year. That game should be a lot of fun. Uh, that is a Thursday night game, so um, early season, first yeah. game of the year, kickoff like kind of thing. Zero kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, number one for me, and obviously I'm biased, but that Texas-Bama game, Bama likely crushes Texas, but that's such a big brand game that I think it has to be number one. 
um, you know, two of the premier historical programs in um, in college football, much like OU Nebraska was last year, um, facing off. Uh, I think it just has to be number one. It comes in the second yeah. week of the year. Um, it'll be hot. It'll be at Texas. Um, I think it'll be fun. Yeah, same three for me, different order slightly. I had West Virginia Pitt at my number three just mm-hmm. because, although that is a fun matchup, I just don't care about neither of those teams enough to super be hyped. <laughs> uh, number two, OU Nebraska. It's uh, another rematch of the game of the century. Uh, it's second year, the back to the back, so it does lose a little bit of the excitement, but uh, it will be Venable's first big kind of, out of conference at least, matchup uh, and test. So that's always an exciting thing to watch on the road. Uh, and then, uh, no doubt about it, the number one best non-conference matchup is Texas and Bama. Um, you're right, Bama's going to be heavily favored. But early season, you never know what can happen. Everyone is yeah, playing Sark's, without a lot of film. Um, Sark's first shot at his, at his mentor. At his mentor. So, um, so you know, obviously, if I were to tell someone to expect an outcome, obviously you expect Bama to win. They're number one right now, and Texas is unranked. But it's going to be a great, great matchup. That'll be a great one to watch for sure. And yeah, as Jen uh, says in the chat, that's why you play the game. You never know how yeah. to win. A big reason. I mean, obviously, Bama is Bama. But um, it's a little too early, I think, for Quinn Ewers, who I do think is going to be very good. Um, I think it's just a little early for him. Second game of the year, it's hard to be ready to go that early as far as having full command of the offense. Um, I think Texas keeps it close for a while. But I think they lose it in the end. I have honorable mention here. Okay. Uh, a holy bowl matchup here between Baylor and BYU. Yes. Yeah, that's a good matchup. Could be interesting. Could be. All right, All let's right. fly through the rest of this here. We got a couple yeah. of Heisman contenders and maybe a dark horse or two. Yeah, I got those. So I'll I'll be quick. Uh Bijan Robinson, running back of Texas, mentioned him last year. Dude is a legitimate stud. Um yeah. he is the best running back in college football, and I don't think it's close. Um, and Sarkeesian is a perfect guy to have as an OC. I think he'll be able to get him a ball in creative ways. Um, and assuming he's healthy, I expect Bijan to at least earn an invite to New York. Um, and again, assuming health, I think he will be a first-round pick. Um, my, another favorite uh, – go ahead. Sorry. Well, my only fear with Bijan is that um, I think there's a really good chance, especially if Texas can figure out the quarterback position, that um, Xavier Worthy could put up some very impressive numbers this year. And you could see almost like maybe a little bit of a split between the two um, that could bite them both, you know, going far in the Heisman race. Now, you could also end up with both of them being invited, but neither winning, whereas one might yeah. have won. You know, of course, it's assuming Texas plays well. But, yeah, Bijan is uh, an absolute phenomenal athlete, phenomenal running back. And I think you're right there. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Um, my big, I would have put Worthy on this list if Nair was healthy. Um, yeah. I think Nair takes the ability to double-team Worthy away. Um, I think that that is back in play now. Um, second favorite, um, and it's an odd one, but Dylan Gabriel. Um, I don't really think he's a favorite, but uh, especially in a post-Lincoln Riley world. But I just feel obligated to put any sooner quarterback on this list until further notice. So That's fair. He's on, yeah. he's on the list. Um, two dark horses. Adrian Martinez, quarterback Kansas State. So I put Casey Thompson on here last week, so this only seems fair to put Adrian Martinez on here. No doubt, no doubt. Um, but in all seriousness, I mentioned earlier, I do love his fit in this new offense that Kansas State has. I think especially with the Colin Klein addition that um, I think they were going to run Martinez a lot. Again, this is assuming health, but um, I think he is a guy that can run, and I think running will open up his arm more. Um, so if the the rushing stats and Mark, you know, his play helps the Wildcats win enough games, I think he could get some buzz. Again, I don't think he's winning it, but 
he could get some buzz. Um, and then number two is Spencer Sanders, quarterback with Oklahoma State. Um, because why not? You know, Duke's 35 years old. He's playing in Mike Gundy's offense. So they're both men. And so uh, they he are. should produce yeah. numbers. Uh, 15 years since the Mike Gundy, I'm a man speech. Right? Right, that's, that's insane, man. Like, I remember that. that. Yeah. He's, uh, he turns 55 next month. <laughs> insane. All right. Um, last but not least, then, who do you think yeah. is going to win this conference? I'll go first. Okay. Uh, so you can end on a high note. So sure. Uh, I have a Texas Oklahoma rematch for the crowd. Okay. Um, you get Sarkeesian's offensive genius versus Venable's defensive prowess. Um, I'm petitioning right now. Uh, if this game happens, it should be moved to the Cotton Bowl. Sorry, Jerry. Um, it just it feels right that you had to play this in the Cotton Bowl. Um, so I think Texas comes up short in the regular season game as Ewers is still trying to find his stride. Uh, but I will take Texas in this game. They finish on a high note. They even beat Kansas this year. <laughs> um, and they will ultimately take down the Sooners in the title game. Uh, but I don't think either team will finish with a good enough record to make the playoff bid. All right, nice. Um, first of all, you saying that game should take place in the Cotton Bowl. Um, I understand why you would say that, but I can also tell that you've never had to sit and watch a game <laughs> in the Cotton Bowl. Um <laughs> So, you know, between the two, I would definitely take the comfort seats of Jerry World and well, maybe some Yeah, it's not for your comfort. You watch right. it on, we watch it on your couch or my couch. Every All right, yeah, that's so true. All right, so obviously both Oklahoma and Texas are big questions. Somehow, despite the insane offseason, OU is projected by most to win the conference. How is Venable going to do in season one as a head coach? How will his staff do? Texas took a team full of four and five stars from last year and made it better. Um, so now Stark and his staff have to do something with Worthy, with um, Robinson, with hopefully Ewers. I think that'll be your guy. I think it'd be a mistake not to play him. Um, with that said, Baylor did lose a lot of players, but they did not really lose anyone to the transfer portal. So they were able to stive off any attrition there. Can they repeat last year's success? I don't know. That'd be my team not named OU or Texas that I think has the best shot. Um, it's near impossible for me to predict the matchup due to how the conference is determined, right? You don't just get to pick, oh, who's going to be the best team out west? Who's going to be the best team out east? No, 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 that's not how we do it. Everyone has a chance, and I like that. So I'm going to go with my heart. Oklahoma is going to beat Texas at least once this year, and they will win the conference championship. Okay. I like it. I like it. All right, any other thoughts about the Big 12, Stephen? Uh, no, it should be fun. Should be. I'm excited uh, for this year. It's wide open, so it is. It it's is truly it's anybody be... can win this, other than Kansas. And you know, I know that in our objectivity, we recognize that the SEC is the best conference in college football, and we even recognize that the Big Ten probably overall puts out the second best product as far as a college football conference. But you know what? I look at these teams, top to bottom, in the Big Twelve, and there are some really good teams that put out a lot of fun football. A lot of enjoyable football. I think um, this is the most enjoyable top-to-bottom competitive conference. Yeah, I mean, Penn State's probably a better team than a lot of, like, Big 12 teams. But give me, like, Iowa State on the TV or Penn State on the TV, and I'm watching Iowa State probably eight times out of ten. Yeah. Um, just because it's going to be a better a better game to watch. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I do want to finish out. Did you see – I'm sure you did. If you had your internet on um, at all this past week, you had to see the um, – Video from the Little League World Series of the kid getting hit in the head with the pitch and yes, then consoling the pitcher. Ah, what a sweet moment. Yeah, um, That's what sports is all about. I saw some people being like really offended about that. Hey, they're weak. This is 
caught a fly yeah. and just poured over. I'm like, okay. Yeah, well, we saw the flip side of that. I don't know if you saw the news out of uh, Texas Little League football where um, a coach was murdered on the sideline after a game due to uh, disagreement with a call during the game. So there you go, society. You get to choose. Would you rather to your sports being a place where the kid that got beamed in the head goes and consoles the crying pitcher to help comfort him or the one where we murder coaches because we don't like what's happening in the game. Pretty easy decision in my opinion. All right, Steven, anything else that you want to say before we end this pod? Welcome. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 90 of the sports corner podcast. We hope that you now have a better grasp on the big 12 and what they're able to do in this upcoming season. Don't forget, you can register to win a $25 Amazon gift card, rate this podcast five stars, take a screenshot, and send it to us, and you will have an exceptionally high percentage chance to win because you all are slackers and don't register. Until next week where we talk about the SEC, that's Steven, I'm Nick, and this has been another episode of the Sports Corner Podcast.